Okay. So it is good to be back home again. I wasn't here last week. I hope you guys noticed that I wasn't here last week. <laughs> but I wasn't here because it was, it was, it was a good, for a good reason. I was on a bit of a field trip up to our sister congregation, Ruach Israel, where they were hosting a, a conference on healing prayer. I, a bunch of us were there. I really recommend that you go and talk to the people that were there and get their experience because it was, it, was, it was very interesting for me. So I, I, you know, the thing is, I'm a good Jewish boy. So I've never, never actually been to something like that before. So I wasn't entirely sure what I was supposed to expect from it. I have to say the experience, it was, um, it, it, it was powerful. Uh, I'm usually, usually very good at describing my experiences, but this, this left me at a loss for words. You know, I, I, could, I could feel the Holy Spirit moving in that room really powerfully, and it, was, um, it, it defied description. So... I'm going to give my best shot anyway. Though. So we were having a worship service, and the pastor leading the conference was praying over people one by one. You know, and last night he kind of called everyone to come up, and he was you know laying hands on them one by one, and people were just being like overwhelmed by the power of the Ruach Hakodesh. And I've seen stuff like this on TV before. You know, like people falling down, flopping on the floor like like fish. And and I would have thought that it would have felt really weird like for me. But it wasn't like that at all. It, you know, it just it felt right. I actually tried to make myself useful. I started catching people as they were falling down. So it was, it was it defeat the purpose of healing prayer if someone gets hurt from falling on the ground. You know, you have to pray for them twice, you know, once to heal their sickness and again to heal the concussion they got from falling on the, hitting their head. So uh, eventually things kind of quieted down, and uh, Ingrid and I actually went up together to receive prayer. And you can ask her about her experience. But I, I was kind of nervous. You know, like, I know the Spirit is moving in this place. I, you know, I can feel it all around me. I, I know that I'm ready to receive the move of God. You know, what's going to happen? So, you know, we're up there, and the pastor lays his hands on me. And I actually had my hand on Ingrid's back because I was worried that she was going to fall down. Uh, and, you know, but he's praying for the rock to fill me. And it's kind of like this tingly feeling. And he just places his palm on my chest and he just gently pushes me. And nothing. <sighs> no weakness in the legs, no rush of euphoria. I didn't wake up a few minutes later with tears in my eyes. I just sort of went off and just kept doing what I was doing. But I, you know, I felt a little bummed out. You know, I, I wanted the spirit. You know, I really wanted something amazing to happen to me, something supernatural, something undeniable. But it didn't. You know, not not to me at least. You know, as the evening was coming to an end, I was actually feeling a little depressed. You know, why didn't the Holy Spirit enter into me. Is it, you know, is my heart not in the right condition for God to dwell in me? Is a container with cracks in it can't hold water, right? What if I'm not a worthy vessel for the Ruach? But, because if that's true, then how can I possibly pray for healing or anything else for other people? If I'm not good enough, if the Ruach can't dwell in me, then how can I ever expect any of my prayers to be answered? If anything, all I can do is hurt people by praying for them. God's not going to listen to a broken vessel. Has anyone ever felt this way? Like you weren't good enough to do God's work? Like you're not worthy of the Holy Spirit? So if you ever have, I think I have some good news for you today. So today I want to talk about a guy who had inconceivable amounts of the Holy Spirit flowing through him. He has, like, the Holy Spirit coming out of his nose like milk when I laugh. You know, this guy has, was more anointed with God's awesome power than most of us can ever imagine. And yet this man may have been the most cracked vessel 
in all of the Bible. So if you want to follow along with your Bibles, just turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 13. Let's take a look at the story of Samson. Okay, I, I, I've, here's the thing. I've always wanted to do something on Samson. When I was a kid, I had this... Um, I, I, there we go. I had this children's picture Bible, and I'm not gonna lie. Samson was my hands down favorite story in this whole thing. It's almost like a Greek myth wedged into the Hebrew scriptures, like the feats of strength that Samson performs, are more like something we would read in the myths of Hercules. So, it actually, might be more like a superhero story. You know, Samson has this cool origin story, like any like like any good good hero. You know, Samson's mother uh, was born barren until an angel visited her and told her she would give birth to a son. And then when, he, she, when she did, she was to dedicate the child to the Lord as a Nazarite for life. You know, this is, a, this is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Over and over again, we see a woman who is unable to have children, praying to the Lord to give her a son. And then an angel appears to her and tells her that not only will she have a son, but that child will be blessed by God and have a special mission in the world. You know, we see this with Sarah and her son Isaac, with Rachel and Joseph, uh, Hannah and Samuel, and in this case with Manoah and, and Samson. Then we have Elizabeth and John the Baptist, and finally Mary with Yeshua. You know, this is the superhero origin of the Bible. But Samson is kind of unique amongst all these people. So, you know, like any good superhero, Samson has superpowers. And he really hit the superpower lottery here. I mean, I mean Joseph, you know, he could interpret dreams. And Samuel received visions from God. Uh, John could get super baptism powers, I guess. You know, that's all cool. But Samson has super strength. It's so out of place. Like most biblical heroes, you know, they could use their powers to bring peace to the world. But Samson's powers, he could, he could just kick anybody's butt. And that's, that's his superpower. And kick butt he did. So during this time period, Israel was being occupied and oppressed by the Philistine peoples. This is before the age of kings. So when Israel was in trouble, uh, God would appoint a, a judge to rise up from the people and, uh, and, you know, and judge and lead them to battle against their enemies. But Samson was different from the other judges. You know, while all the other judges of Israel gather armies to fight their enemies, Samson was the army. You know, he did stuff like tear lions apart with his bare hands. He killed 1,000 Philistines single-handedly in one battle. He ripped the huge gates off the city of, you know, of the city off their hinges and just carried them off. He's basically the Incredible Hulk of the Bible. You know, gotta get this mirror. So, like the superhero similarities don't end there. Like any good superhero story, there's a, you know, a femme fatale. You know, the treacherous Philistine beauty of Delilah. And like any good superhero story, there's an epic battle to end the tale when Samson pushes over the support pillars of the Temple of Dagon, killing thousands of Philistines. Can I get this? And like any good superhero story, our hero has to have weaknesses, some form of kryptonite. You know, it'd be boring if he was just invincible, right? Well, just like Peter Parker gets his powers from a radioactive spider, Samson gets his powers from being a Nazarite, kind of like a Rastafarian Jewish monk with long hair. So as a Nazarite, Samson had a few restrictions on him. There we go. He couldn't be in contact with any dead bodies. He couldn't drink wine or eat anything derived from grapes. And most importantly to the story, he couldn't cut his long, gross hair. We weren't allowed to wash it either. 
In the end, that's how his enemies defeat him. You know, they find out his weakness, and while he's sleeping, Delilah cuts off all his hair, turning Samson back into just a normal human being. But after he's taken prisoner, his enemies foolishly allow his hair to grow back. And when they're all in one place, Samson prays to God. And, and uh, he prays to God, and the Lord restores his superhuman strength, and Samson deals a final devastating blow to the Philistines while sacrificing his own life in the process. It's a perfect superhero story. Disney should just buy the rights to it and do a Fourth of July weekend release and make a trillion dollars. So that was my impression of Samson when I was a kid, reading my kid's picture Bible. Back then, Samson was my hero. As an adult, the story I read is a very different one. You know, the story feels out of place in the Bible for a couple reasons. You know, one is that because it's a superhero story, and the other is that Samson might be the least heroic hero in the Bible. So it's easy to be dazzled by all Samson's spectacular feats of strength, but what happens when you strip away all the superhero elements? What kind of story are you left with? So in chapter 14, when we're first introduced to Samson as a young man, you know, the first thing we see him do, you know, is boss his parents around, like barking orders at, at them to get him a Philistine white woman as his wife. You know, this is the, the country that was currently had Israel in captivity. You know, if you don't, don't know anything about Israelite marriage customs, you can assume that wanting to marry a woman from the nation that is oppressing your people, it's, it's a bad idea. So then, on his wedding day, he managed to do not one but two awful things. So you remember the story about how he killed a lion with his bare hands? That was one of the cool stories, right? Well, on his wedding day, he comes across the same dead lion. And he discovers that some bees had made honey in the carcass. Now, I don't know why this feels good to him. I mean, like, without hesitation, he just reaches inside the dead lion and starts just scooping out and eating the honey. Ugh, I don't know. And then he, and look, not only that, he brings some to his parents to eat without telling them where he got it from. They'd be grossed out if they knew. They would. I don't understand the logistics of that either. Was he just taking handfuls of honey and just bringing them home and just like, letting them lick it off his fingers? I mean, I don't know. So not only does that break his Nazarite vow for touching a dead body, but he also made his parents unclean. So then later at the wedding, you know, Samson is thinking that he's really clever, and he tells a riddle to the in-laws of his new Philistine wife makes a very expensive wager that they won't be able to solve it. Now, this is a bad situation because Samson likes women who tend not to have his best interests in mind. So after a lot of nagging, uh, Samson tells his wife the answer to the riddle, and she turns around and tells her in-laws. Now, this was in Samson's, entirely Samson's fault. But look at how he responds. If you are not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. It's a nice thing to call your wife. So, to make matters worse, Samson leaves his wife at her wedding party to go on a rampage, killing 30 of his wife's neighbors and looting their corpses so he can pay his gambling debt. So he doesn't come back until months later when he just saunters into her dad's house, acting like he just reclaimed his property. This guy was like, you called her a cow and killed a bunch of her cousins before bouncing for half a year. I already married her to another man. Ooh, so Sam's, but Samson's cool about it. He responds very calmly and reasonably by burning the entire town to the ground. 
sparking a war between the Philistines and the Israelites that lasts for 20 years. So, okay, all right, well, after all of this, you think Samson would have learned his lesson when it comes to a woman, but right after that, our story picks up with Samson violating all of Israelite laws, and especially his Nazarite vow, by sleeping with prostitutes, especially his favorite, the Philistine woman Delilah. Role model, kids! <sighs> so Delilah eagerly accepts a bribe from Samson's enemies to find out his weaknesses. And after a little bit of nagging, I mean, it's coming a, a, coming a pattern here, Samson cracks like, like this big dumb egg and tells Delilah his weakness and promptly falls into an obvious trap. Yikes. Different story now, isn't it? Huh? When you strip away all the superhero elements, you see that Samson was lustful, deceitful, violent, short-tempered, impatient, uncaring of how his actions affected others, and doesn't take his vows to God seriously. You know, as a kid, I was impressed by Samson's superheroic feats of strength. As an adult, I'm utterly appalled by his lack of moral character. And when I read this, I wonder, why would God put the Ruach HaKodesh into a man like this? What did he do to deserve such a wonderful gift? You know, we've been talking about superheroes today, so I might as well just keep on with that theme. This dilemma reminds me of a Green Lantern comic I read when I was a kid. You know, hold on, this has something to do with this. So speaking of superhero origins, Green, okay, does anyone know who Green Lantern is? He's, all right, good, some people know. So Green Lantern, his, he got his superpowers when a dying alien warrior crash-landed on Earth in a spaceship. This alien possessed a, a ring that granted its wearer almost unlimited power. So when the alien died, the ring flew off his finger and flew around, and it just chose this one young man, Hal Jordan, seemingly at random, to be his new owner. You know, and Hal Jordan became a superhero, and, you know, he became the Green Lantern, and he's doing all kinds of good deeds. And one day a reporter comes to him and interviews him and says, you know, Green Lantern, you can do all this stuff. You can fly, you can create force fields, you have energy beams, you can heal people, you can do it. You have almost unlimited power. What did you do? What did you do to deserve all this power? And Green Lantern, who doesn't even know why the ring chose him, he answers, what did I do to deserve all this power? Not enough yet. This power is a gift, and I owe a debt of gratitude for it that I'm paying off every single day by using it for good. I didn't deserve this ring when I got it, but I hope one day, I will be worthy of it. The story of Samson is a cautionary tale of what happens when we don't appreciate the gifts of the Spirit and don't use them to their full potential. But the story of Samson is also encouraging. Samson is a poor example and a terrible role model, and yet God still used him. Samson was a cracked vessel, and yet God was still able to pour the Holy Spirit into him. Samson didn't deserve the Ruach HaKodesh, but that's the fallacy in our thinking. None of us deserve the Holy Spirit. It's not something that can be earned. It can only be given. So after the healing conference, you know, I was worried that I wasn't a worthy vessel for the Holy Spirit. But Samson, in all of his flaws, teaches us that our worthiness is nothing compared to God's faithfulness. So I think the Holy Spirit is kind of like that Green Lantern ring, if I can make a really 
weird observation, you know. Observation. We didn't, we don't choose the Holy Spirit. It chooses us. The Bible is full of stories of flawed, imperfect people that God chooses to anoint with the Holy Spirit. You know, some like Samson fail to live up to their calling. But, you know, think of the arrogant, Think of the arrogant, boastful young Joseph, or the fugitive murderer Moses, or the persecutor of the Messianic Jews, Paul. God didn't wait for them to become perfect before he called them. He called them as they were and then challenged them to become better. Sometimes God gives us strength because we're worthy of it. But sometimes God gives us strength and tells us, become worthy of it. Samson didn't do that. We can. We can come before God, lay our broken vessel at his feet. It's gone. Our broken vessel's gone. God took it away from us. He's made us whole. We can put our vessel at his feet and say, Lord, use me as I am. Fill this broken vessel with your Holy Spirit and use me as you will. Make me an instrument of your peace and let me do great things in your name. Not by my strength, but by your strength working in me. And if we do that, if we do what Samson didn't, if we recognize that our strength doesn't come from our worthiness, but from God's holiness, then we can have confidence when we pray healing for people. My confidence comes from recognizing that my strength is not my own. If my ability to pray for people was dependent on my holiness or my worthiness, I could never measure up. I, I, have, I have no ability to heal people by my own power. Nothing about the words I say or the way I lay hands on people can make the slightest difference in their health. You know, if they're healed, it's because God has chosen to heal them. And if God wants them healed, the clumsiness of my tongue will not get in the way of that. This is not my strength. It's God's strength. And he will use me as he will, whether I'm worthy or not. You know, that doesn't mean we don't try to become worthy. We always need to, to prepare our vessels. But God can use me even if I am a cracked vessel. Because the living water he pours into me can flow through those cracks and pour onto others. You know? I think I'll end with a quick story to demonstrate my point. Uh, there was once a, a water bearer who carried two buckets of water on his shoulders. Like he has a pole and he's got a bucket on each side. And every day he would carry these buckets of water on his shoulders from the river to his master's house. So one of the buckets was perfect. Perfectly whole, never spilled a drop. But the other bucket had a crack in it. And it would leak drops of water all the way from the river to the house. And the cracked bucket, you know, felt bad. He couldn't do his duty and bring a full bucket of water the way the perfect bucket could. So one day, after being at, filled at the river, he started to leak as usual. Feeling miserable, he said to the water bearer, I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. Well, why, asked the bearer. What are you ashamed of? Well, for years, I've been able, unable to deliver only half my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. Well, the water bearer felt sorry for the old cracked pot. And out of compassion, he said, As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up to the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun warming the wildflowers on the side of the path. The pot felt cheered, but at the end of the trail, the pot still felt bad because it leaked out half its load 
And again, it apologized for its failure. But the bear said to the pot, did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path and not on the other pot's side? That's because I knew about your flaw and took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walk back from the stream, you've watered them for me. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. If you were not just the way you are, he would not have such beauty to grace his house. None of us are perfect vessels for the Holy Spirit, but Yeshua can use us as we are. Just like God used Samson in spite of his many flaws, God in his great compassion can use any of us to do his work, even the cracked ones. We just need to remember the source of our strength is not in us, but in our Messiah Yeshua. Let's always work to keep our eyes on him. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom.